Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Paul Sampson, who is the founder and CEO of Licked. What they are doing is democratizing licensed music for the metaverse through micro-licensing. Paul's going to take you through how to recognize new trends, how to convince people of your mindset, and talk all about what Licked is doing in this space. Join me in talking to Paul. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Paul Sampson, CEO and founder of Licked. Thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And where, uh, for our audience, where are you joining us from across the pond from Dallas, Texas, where we're recording today over here? From Dallas, Texas, you are communicating with Kentish Town in northwest London. Incredible. Yeah. Worldwide. We have an office in, in Soho in central London, but I'm at home today. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. It was great to get connected uh, through your team. And, uh, you know, some people might see the the name Licked and assume all sorts of things of what you might be doing. So why don't you tell us (laughs) what exactly is Licked? So Licked is um, a micro licensing music solutions company. We, We are the first company to enable uh, chart music licensing for user-generated content creators legally and Mm. without punishment. Um, But as the company evolves, there appears to be many more problems that that are solvable on behalf of the music rights uh, community and music industry by way of innovation and the building of tech and tech solutions that are that provide wins across the value chain for users and creators everywhere. So Lick's mission is to democratize music for the world's creators. And by the world's creators, that could mean content creators, brands that create, uh, or you know, builders of the metaverse. That's really interesting. I think anybody who has created content, um, even my the teenage self years and years ago, I remember making like a 30 second pretend skateboarding commercial and I put, you know, an official song by, you know, somebody who I really liked and, you know, YouTube popped up, no audio on this track, you can't use this. And that's probably the least that can happen to you. You know, no, no fines came my way, fortunately. Um, yeah. But help explain us, uh, explain this to us where it sounds like we're in a different world nowadays than the world when all these clauses and licenses were initially created. And so we need different solutions and companies like yours to help innovate that, it sounds like. Can you explain kind of the difference between those two worlds of when these licenses were developed and then the new world we live in where that no longer applies in the same way? Yeah, sure. So, so just just to give you some background, I, I've been putting music to picture, which is called sync licensing, short for synchronization licensing. I've been doing that since 2005. I did it in New York and London and LA. In fact, straight out of uni in 1999, I worked in television before I got into the music industry. And actually, that's where I first started putting music to picture, but just from the other side of the coin, if you like. Interesting, yeah. I, I remember actually... Uh, when I think back, I could draw a straight line from this memory to where I am today, right? Which was, uh, I went on a shoot as a senior researcher for this TV show, and then um, was in the office the next day. And then that day, the producer came to me and said, you're going to have to direct the edit tomorrow, because the director from your shoot has come down ill and can't come in. Oh wow! And I had been on the shoot, so I was able to help the editor say, "Well, we shot this and we shot that," and the thinking was, "This is the narrative, etc." Right? Help them save time. And I got really excited because it was a new opportunity for me. And I went home that night and I went through all my CDs, and I was like, "I'm going to put this song here, that song <laughs> there," and, 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 and I, I went into work. And I walked into the edit suite and I was like, hey, I'm directing the edit today. And I had like 10 CDs in my hand. And the, the guy, the editor, looked at me and he said, What's, what you got there? And I was like, oh, music for the show. And he was like, we have a music budget? And I said, what's a music no, budget? I, I, said, no, I, I, I own the music. 
And he looked at me and laughed and said, you own the plastic. You don't right. own the music. And I was like, what? Uh, and that was like the first time I learned that, you know, you had to license music and that you know, every time music was played on TV or any kind of broadcast that there was a payment due to someone. And, mm-hmm. of course, you need permission of some description to use the music. He then alerted me to these shelves all over the walls of um, the same color CD spines and said, this is what's called production music or stock music. We have deals in place with all of these companies for unlimited use. You can use any of this. And then he used a four-letter word. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and, you know, my, my mind was blown. And it was really, you know, it's, it's quite funny to me that, that, you know, five short years later, I was in that very industry wow. uh, in the States. And, uh, and, I, and I've been in it ever since. So... Like I, like I alluded to, every time you watch a film or a trailer or an advert or a TV show, there was music in it. Someone is tasked with creatively pitching that music into that piece of content. Hmm. And then that if that music wins that pitch, then people have to negotiate for the fees or the rights to use that music. And that's what sync licensing is, and that's what I've been doing. So I, I did it um, in New York in 2005. By the time I'm back in London, 11, 12 years later, I realized that all of those businesses that I've been, that have been my clients for 11 years are just big production companies. Mm-hmm. And that actually all the resources of production companies by this time have been democratized to the laptop I'm looking at you on, the phone that we had our first call on, and the home camera. Right. Right. That, that everyone is a production company today. Mm. Uh, and in fact, the only resource available to production companies that was not available to the fastest growing production sector in the world was what I did. Mm. I thought, hang on, who, who's going to democratize licensing for this production sector? Right. So I started looking at YouTube. And, you know, you know, all these stats were coming out about YouTube, 600 hours of content being uploaded every minute, you know, and you just start looking at it going, this is a behemoth and the number one player in the market at the, at the time. And I started looking into it and I learned about something called Content ID. So without wanting to bore everyone, um, YouTube has a piece of proprietary software called Content ID. Think of it as Shazam for okay. YouTube. Yeah. Right? And what it does, if, if I'm Warner Music, I feed my music into Content ID it fingerprints and memorizes my music, um, relates it back to me as the owner, and, and whenever it hears any of my music on YouTube, it presumes that that music has been used without my permission, hmm. and it penalizes the video that used the music. And, and you know, if you're lucky, uh, that, that penalty means that you just won't earn anything from that video because the music, the, the revenue will go to, to me as Warner Music. Or they don't uh, play it, your audio on it, like yeah. what happened with my video years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're unlucky, you're muted, or you're taken down or blocked, right? Right. The unintended consequence of that was that when YouTube uh, developed their partnership program, when people started becoming YouTubers and started earning money, then using famous music meant giving all of that money up. Right. And so and so they created this vacuum where, they, where, where music, the music industry created a vacuum where all the low-end stuff, like, you know, the cat videos and, and your mum's birthday, that was all using music, and it was generating the music industry 0.00003 pennies a video for 100 views, right? Sure. But the real quality con- cat, uh, content that was getting millions of views or hundreds of thousands of views was forced into using music that YouTube didn't recognize. Mm, interesting. Right? And, yeah. that, and that, and that, and what I said to the music industry was, imagine this is TV and, and your music's not being played. So there are two generations that just aren't hearing your music and that's not good for you. Right. So I thought, hang on a minute. If you could solve that um, that presumption of guilt by Content ID, by building innovative software and solve that part of the issue, then you could, on top of that, build something like Spotify, right? Mm. Where creators could come and search for artists, audition them, and then license, legally pay for a license to use their favorite song and the software, the magic software you built first would then protect them on YouTube 
then right. you'd have something you'd have something valuable and that's what licked 1.0 is uh it's spotify for creators for want of a better term there's now 10,000 labels and publishers signed to Lict, over 1.2 million songs available to creators on multiple platforms for the first time ever. We also have a stock music catalogue because stock does things quite well that chart music doesn't, things like suspense and thriller and sure. drama. And, you know, if you want something to sound like, sound like Pirates of the Caribbean, you're not going to get it from Ed Sheeran, right? right. So you need, you need other parts of your toolkit. And we are, and the plan is to make every song in the world available for creators easily, simply, and affordably. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by iShaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, what I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded ice shaker at icehaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. That's incredible. Now you said that's uh, Licked 1.0. Is, is that where we're at currently? And we're looking forward to more innovation there or are we yet at licked 2.0 or 3.0 good question so uh, when you well, if i take you back to what the mission was democratize music for the world's creators i keep seeing more opportunity right i was right about that opportunity it's driving revenue for the music industry mm-hmm. and recently we've seen a couple of other areas where we think hang on a minute this could be another big opportunity for creators and for the music industry, but it's going to need a tech solution that the industry won't build. Okay. So if we build it, can we can we um, exploit another opportunity for everyone in the value chain and, and make life better for everyone? Um, one of those I'm particularly excited about is for the metaverse. I've heard of it. Um, yeah, <laughs> you've heard of it. Um, so there's lots of really interesting things going on between the music industry and the metaverse, right? Yeah. We, we already work with Fortnite around their concerts. I, I won't go into it. It's not particularly relevant, but there's various solutions they need assistance with to make the concerts go well that we help them with. Right. But, uh, you know, there's, there's launch parties in Roblox, concerts in Fortnite, um, and, you know, lots of art, massive artists doing big NFT drops, and we can argue through the night about the value of those right right um, but what occurred to me was that the, the ongoing always on uh, scalable opportunity for the meta for the music industry in the metaverse is to be able to recreate background music licensing rights for every venue in the metaverse right, right? like our avatars aren't eating and our avatars aren't sleeping so there'll be no hotels and no restaurants right but right. there'll be Something akin to bars, cafes where people can meet up, um, clubs and uh, casinos and all these other places where you engage. And everything I've just mentioned in the real world has music playing in the background. Right. And, and, and there have been you know, studies decades old uh, that show that the better the music and the more on brand the music in a retail outlet the more the longer the customer is going to stay the more likely that they are to purchase right there's all sorts of data around that um and it occurs to me that why should why should the metaverse sound really bad right why, why that, that that shouldn't be the case right well i i think that's a really interesting point um because as we know kind of the the recent reason for the the adoption of the metaverse or embracing it is young people value digital experiences and you know a lot of gamers will go into these uh these metaverse platforms and they'll say uh i don't see anything really new here i'm doing this in nba 2k i'm doing this in grand theft auto all these other things but um as we have these 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 platforms open it's a great point that 
thinking all the way through it. And the, the audio piece of it is a huge piece of it. And we were talking about this the other day with um, it's it's not dissimilar from the, the video games growth phase with audio, where back in the day, it was just arcade music and you got these kind of silly um, just beats uh, going back and forth. And Tony Hawk Pro Skater and, and other video games became innovators in bringing in music from musical artists and that not only benefited the video games it greatly benefited the artists who every time you start over that level you know you hear that song again and that you hear that song it's part of your childhood it's part of your memories right and then when we go into the physical of uh of retail like you're talking about there is so much science and thought through the audio experience of somebody going into a store and what makes you stay longer? What makes you in a mood more likely to buy a product? And we need to take these learnings in these other industries and now apply them to this new world. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. So I, I, I was speaking with a metaverse platform and they said, look, come and take a look around. And so we're on this video conference call and they jump into their, into the, into their district um on their laptop and we watched their avatar walk into a jazz bar so here we are in this jazz bar and the jazz bar is playing stock music jazz library (laughs) jazz if you're a fan of jazz that's going to be especially impactful on you in not the most positive way a nightmare right right (laughs) and and, um and, and then he and the guy looked at me and said it gets worse and we left the jazz bar and walked across the street there was a techno club walked into the techno club and they were playing stock music techno yikes like the, I think stock music techno is one of the most horrifying sentences <laughs> I've ever said. Right, like, <laughs> um, it's like being naked in public. Right, it just scares it scares the bejesus out of me. So yeah. So I looked at my colleague and I just shook my head. Right, because I'm I'm famous in Licked within our team for saying. Right, I always use this analogy that whenever there's a um, a crack that appears in a rock, water gets there on day one. Mm. Right, water will always find the crack in a rock. Yeah, and whenever there is a fissure in the digital landscape, stock music always fills it on day one. Interesting. Yeah, and and, and, I, and I, the reason I use that analogy for my team is because I say our job is to make sure that we can enable chart music that people know and love to get there on day one or on the in the evening or or the morning of day two. Right. Right. If not, be ready prior to the fissure opening so that's i looked at my colleague and i was like this is screaming out for us to build the technology that can enable it and to build a commercial model that means we can attract the rights holders and not spend years negotiating with them i mean when i came up with licked 1.0 and i consider the metaverse product to be 2.0 right um with 1.0 you know, I naively went to the music industry with this software we built. I said, "Look at the look at the gap in the market, and look at the software we've built that, yeah. that can close that gap for you." And I thought they were going to hold me aloft their shoulders like the hero I thought I was, and um, and they did not. And, and actually, the music industry has a, a history of resisting technology. Right when it comes to adopting innovation, they're only slightly ahead of the Amish. So, <laughs> so. so, so what they do is you sort of creep up the music industry with a bowl full of stones mm. and go, look at all these shiny new stones I've got for you. Mm-hmm. And they look up from bashing the blood out of the stone they've got in front of them and say, <laughs> leave me alone. I'm still trying to get more out of this one. Right? Uh, <laughs> Amazing. So, so that's a problem. And, and, and using our experience of dealing with the music industry, understanding what precedents they will and won't break, Mm. Which ones they want to set? Who are the early adopters that can move a market? And using that yeah. experience to cut, you know, five years down to one year even is right. it's, it's the benefit we have from being in the market for as long as we have. And there there are clauses in music agreements. This is what you were alluding to in your first question. Mm-hmm. That have been in there for 50, 60 years that 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 aren't fit for a modern entertainment landscape right and because they often work in the music industry's uh interests 
people are loath to remove them in some cases. But you have to find the levers within these behemoths, the people that want to innovate and reason with them and say, listen, whether you remove it or not, we need to be able to ignore it in this instance or find, speak to your lawyers or find uh, a carve out for it in this instance, right? That, that means right. we're not all exposed. But we need to be able to move forward and you need to be able to explain to your artists and your songwriters that we're acting in their best interests. Yeah, I really want to dig in a little bit there. First, I want to make a, a, a quick point. Um, I love your, you know, you expressing the need for urgency, the, you know, get their evening of day one, get their yeah. day two, rather than we have plenty of time. Because, I mean, yeah. I'm connected with a, a number of metaverse platforms. I've been on demos where I'm bringing in a potential client to a metaverse platform. And I will tell you, it's that first experience. You know, there's ne never a second chance to make a first impression, right? And if somebody goes in there, if it doesn't hit, if they don't see the value or they don't feel like this is something they want to come back to, there's not a second opportunity. You're not going to have, you know, months or years in the future where like, but now we have chart music. It's like, no, we, we've we been there. It wasn't a fit, etc. cetera. Um, so I think that part's super important. I want to dig in with you on um, this piece of helping people realize that they should pivot their business or um, convincing people to do something that they wouldn't do otherwise. Can you give our audience some nuggets of wisdom here? What did you find successful, whether it's a specific tactic you've always used or, or something in this yeah. specific situation that helped people who say, we've always done it this way, it benefits us, you know, we're holding all the keys to say, wait a minute, it's worth this time and effort to, to change what we've always done. Yeah, so there's, two, there's, there's a few things there. One I alluded to, which is find the levers, right? There will always be someone in that organization who is with you. Yeah. Right? So you need you need to find that person as soon as possible. Uh, you, you can do it by luck, by networking, uh, or you might, you might find it through logic. Um, I'll come back to that piece. Um, two is tenacity, right? We, we talk about startups and... and, and uh, the really successful startup founders will always tell you that perseverance was 99% of their success. Yep. Um, and the third is is precedent, right? Look, mm. look, look around at analogous industries, whether or not they face the same challenges and either what successes they can demonstrate as a result of adopting the innovation or what pitfalls they fell down by not, right? And, right. and, and, and often in the music industry, I won't go into which clauses that, that we had we had to get changed and, and whether whether or how they got changed. But I was being told, even by the people that first invested in it, the per an individual gave me my seed funding, and he said, "Paul, I'm behind you 100. percent You can change the face of this part of the industry, but please stop going after the major labels and publishers. It's a pipe dream. It will never happen." Now, two of them are on our cap table. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I The music industry was having a fight with YouTube. And it was having that fight in the courtrooms of the EU and in Congress. And I was following that fight quite closely because I was having my own fight with the labels about YouTube also. Yeah. Um, and I was struggling with how am I going to get past this particular issue that they've got, this legacy clause uh, and then I read an article that said, uh, central to the music industry's case against YouTube was that the Digital Millennial Copyright Act that, that was written in 1998 that, that provided YouTube and companies like it with the protection the music industry was arguing YouTube should benefit from. Their argument was it was written seven years before online video and user-generated content became a thing. Wow. And therefore, these you know, no one foresaw YouTube or companies or use cases like YouTube benefiting from this protection. So it needs rewriting and it's not fit for purpose. And can you explain what that protection was so the audience knows specifically? I believe it's – correct me if I'm wrong, but it's if the user uses uh... – music they shouldn't 
or something that's uh, has an intellectual yeah. pro- property they don't have a license for, it's the individual's fault. It's not the platform's fault, meaning YouTube's yeah, fault. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. yeah. So, so there was there was a clause in the DMCA called safe harbor, and it was intended to provide uh, ISPs with protection from mm-hmm. copyright infringement that happened on their platform. So let, let me give you an example of that. It's, it's, it's the year 1999, and I download an, uh, an illegal MP3 from Napster. Right. And I, and I use Hotmail to email you that MP3. Mm-hmm. Safe Harbor, Hotmail was protected under that Safe Harbor clause. They were saying, it's not Safe Harbor, it's not, it's not Hotmail that is infringing the copyright. Right, it's the user that is infringing the copyright. Right. So, this case that that YouTube should be held liable for what happens on its platform was the music industry's argument, but the music, but YouTube was being protected by Safe Harbor. Mm-hmm. Now, in Europe, the music industry won that case. Interesting. And and and, and not just YouTube, all sorts of platforms are now no longer under safe harbor the originally intended isps are right Mm -hmm. but lots of other networks are now no longer protected by safe harbor and have to take lots of steps to make sure that uh no infringement of copyright happens on their platform otherwise the platform itself is liable right right do you remember back in 1999 or the early 2000s when you, we kept hearing like scare stories of just Sony Music sued John Smith up the road for $200 million because he had 50,000 MP3s on his laptop? Of course, that's what kept me off, <laughs> off of Napster and LimeWire. <laughs> okay, so it was, it was those legal cases that set up the lawsuits, right? Yeah. That set up those arguments. We go after a few, we scare everyone, then we make the big argument in court, right? Right. So... Um, so the music industry was arguing that YouTube shouldn't be protected by the DMCA because the DMCA was written seven years before YouTube was written. And and there were clauses in artists' agreement and rights holders' agreements that everyone was telling me, you can't do what you want to do because of those clauses. Yeah. And when I heard the music industry had used that argument, I immediately called our lawyer and I was like, when were our clauses, the ones that are blocking us, when were they written? Mm. And the answer came back 1955, 1962, <laughs> 1964. Right. And I was like, if you want to move into this digital world smoothly and effectively, you have to look at some of these clauses and you have to find ways to work with them, around them, or, or ride roughshod over them. Um, and luckily, we've been able to do that. In terms of finding the leverage, there will always be innovators within a, within a, an organization that are with you, right? Right. You'll often find them saying to you, "Don't tell anyone." But you know, if you ever need anyone, I'll I'll, I'll jump ship here and come to you because I can't <laughs> I can't bear how slow things are around here, right? Yeah. Um, but but so there's either innovators or there's people with pain points. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a perfect example. I went into the major labels via the marketing teams because right. I thought, hang on a minute, everyone in this label has a problem with YouTube. But wouldn't the marketing team have a problem on YouTube? Because if I'm the marketing team, I need to get this to release as many listeners as possible. Mm-hmm. And now there are influencers. And the influencer owns an audience. And I want that audience because it shares an, that, that channel shares an audience with my artist. Mm. This is a happy marriage. But if they can't use my song without getting demonetized, then I, I can't look at that as a route to market. Yeah. And so I went to the marketing departments, right? And said, hey, we've built this software that means influencers can now, or any YouTuber, but specific, but also influencers, can use music without losing their revenue. And right. I started working with commercial music from the major labels on my terms because right. I was seen as a vendor to the marketing departments. Wow. I right? think... Yeah, I think something within that, too, is, well, it, it makes a world of difference when you get to the right person, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had a ton of conversations with people, and it's just like, it didn't move forward because it was a per- person sitting next to them rather than the person I'm talking to, and they're too busy or, or don't care to give me that introduction. Yeah. The, the other thing that I've really uh, learned throughout my career is 
asking people what they need. And um, I used to serve as head of GameStop partnerships back in the day. And so I got all sorts of people pitching me and people would assume what my pain points were or what I wanted to accomplish. And what I, my pain point was not what they actually thought it was typically. But when you come to somebody and you find out a real problem they're trying to figure out and you have that solution, there's budget for that more times than not. Right. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And that's why I said find the leverage. The leverage is either a pain point or or someone with a pain point or someone that's behind you. Right. And what you want to happen is you want slowly for or quickly um, (laughs) for the tone of voice used around you and your solution to change within that organization. Mm. And to do that, you have to start with an advocate. Right. So I went to the I went to the market. You know, my advisors were saying, you know, they just you won't get an agreement with them. And I said, well, I thought, well, hang on a minute. If I can solve a problem for the marketing department, I don't need an agreement. They'll sign mine. Right. Good right? point. And, and I won't have all the music, but I'll be in business with them. Right. And then the marketing department displays a success internally and then someone goes how did you do that they've got a case study yeah and then you call that other person you know they're a bit warmer to you and slowly we got we got uh we we filtered our way in but now i think we have the trust of the of of rights holders to for the most part um and that now when we go to them and say hey isn't this an area you should be doing more in? They typically have said, oh, that we've been looking at that for years. We can't solve it. And we go, well, we've built something, right? Or they come to us and say, oh, we're not the right people to do this, but if you could build X and Y, we'd really we'd really use it. And that's yeah. the best information you could wish for because that's there's a market right there. You've got a customer on day one, right? Right. You know, another thing I'm taking from you, it doesn't seem like you, you, you take the answer no uh, very yeah. well. It seems like the, the tenacity, the perseverance part of that sounds like, you know, in the one and a half conversations that we've had, uh, what I've learned about you, Paul, is uh, if somebody tells you no, uh, you, there's something within you to prove them wrong. Is that accurate? There is. It is accurate. I'm not sure it's a healthy attribute. <laughs> it, 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 like, it, it gets, I, I get very vexed. I find myself having lots of arguments by myself. <laughs> okay. Like, like, like running the argument over in my head and getting more and more frustrated uh, at, at the, um, the, sort of the idiocy of the fact that we're having the debate, right? Mm, when, yeah. when, in fact, the debate is over. You know, I've been I'm, so many times I've been arguing with people about YouTube, and I'm like, you know, there's TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, right? Like, you're still arguing with me about YouTube, and there's four more platforms to go. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I don't take no for, for an answer. I think that that you need to have a limit on that. You don't want to be barking up the wrong tree constantly. Sure. But I will tell you that um, the head of global digital for one of the three major labels. When we finally got our deal done, I, I was in Los Angeles and I met with him and he introduced me to his lawyer and he said to me, he said to his lawyer, you haven't met Paul, have you? And I said, no. And he said, Paul's the most tenacious beep beep I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and looked at me and said, you got your deal done. I said, we got our deal done, yeah. But nice. look, especially, I only feel that way if there's common sense behind it, right? If I feel sure. like common sense is being ignored, then, then, then of course, I'll... I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep up the good fight. Is that something that you're just born this way? This is your personality? You saw maybe your parents or other people around you being successful with it or something that you learned throughout your career? Um, I think I think it's partly innate. But also, like when you've been doing something for as long as I have and you feel like you know it inside out, then then the direction of travel seems quite clear. Right, and you might come up with it first, and so you're never, you're never uh, as adamant about it, you know, when it first occurs to you, perhaps ahead of other people. Mm-hmm. But when you you knock it about a bit with a few people, and and you get nothing but that makes perfect sense, and this is why it should work, and this is where it's going to, and this is what it could become. Right. Then I get frustrated with 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 people not coming around to that way of thinking quick as quickly as they should. Well, I think too, something that I've experienced, I've, I've worked for a variety of companies. I've worked for companies where 
what I'm selling I don't believe in. And then <laughs> when a, in dire straits, harder times, then when I'm, you know, in a better situation, I'm, I'm working for a company or I'm working for myself and I'm just, I don't feel like I'm selling, I'm preaching. You know, like yes. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to help you. And it doesn't happen. It happens to not be free, but look yeah. at how you could benefit. And I feel like when I'm in those situations, I'm much more tenacious. I'm, you know, you still have to be tactful with your follow-ups and everything, but I have no apologies for checking in again or, 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 or feeling yeah. like I'm bothering someone because if you could understand, if I can open your eyes to this solution that I have, you're going to thank me. You're not going to be yeah. bothered by a follow-up email. Yes. Yeah. And and so often, you, you, by the way, you've nailed that. You're absolutely right. Like, I, I, I'm not doing this just for me. You are the primary beneficiary of what I'm proposing, right? And right. That, that's what drives me nuts, is that even, even when you win that argument sometimes, they'll say, okay, you can try and make us money, but but please do it with one hand tied behind your back. <laughs> exactly. And you go, why? Why would you make me do that? So, you know, but, you know, so be it. You have to go make the money with a hand tied behind your back and then they'll uncuff your other hand and you can all move forward. And forget it ever happened. Precisely. Onward, yeah. onward and upward. Um, you know, something else I've noticed about your story here is um, your ability to notice trends. So yeah. you started, you know, you recognize the YouTube thing. You see Web three, you see the metaverse emerge, and you're not only you're you're seeing what's coming ahead of it being there. Um, walk me through some of that. How you, whether there's there's something you do to recognize trends or <clears throat> what's been successful in the past that our audience can replicate um, being ahead of the curve. Well, I mean, look, I think all these things are relative, right? Like. Within the Licked team, I, I, I'm not the early adopter. I'm not the futurist. I'm not the technologist, right? Within my group of friends, I'm Elon Musk, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, I'm early 40s, and you know, my friends are restaurateurs, or, or you know, they're, they're, some of them are lawyers, right? And they, yeah. don't, they don't know anything about the music industry or technology, and you know, they, they look to me as someone who can explain you know, social media and rights and copyright and so on. But within my team and within my industry, you know, people are, are much more early adopters or, or tech savvy and, and web savvy than I am. But I surround myself with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I read a lot, right? I've got RSS feeds on anything to do with Web3 and YouTube. Or, and, and slowly but surely, even if I don't read any of the articles that come into my feed, my Slack notification, by the end of a day, I can give you a rough idea of what's happened in the industry just by just by the um, the toast notification on my phone. Like right. just seeing five or six of the headlines. Yeah. Right, I'll be like, okay, even subliminally, you get a, 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 a sense of the movement that happened that day. I go to a lot of conferences right, for things outside our, our industry, like about Web3, about Metaverse. And, and if you keep yourself abreast of it, if you know a topic like we know music and licensing mm-hmm. as well as we do. You can look at another industry and go, is there an opportunity for us there? Is this something that's going to face the same issues analogously that YouTube did? I mean, I, the first time I spoke to, uh, well, seven years ago, I started listening to podcasts religiously before most people did, actually. And I mm-hmm. just said I wasn't an early adopter, but I'm much more, uh, I take on information much better through audio than I do any other um, uh, delivery system. Yeah. So for seven to ten years now, I've been doing three, four hours of podcast a day, and then I met someone that works at a podcast network. It hadn't occurred to me there was such a thing. Right. And and he was saying, you know, blah, blah, and he started talking about the growth of podcasts, and I was like, this sounds a lot like the growth of YouTube, like the sort of numbers you're talking to me about. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, I thought, I wonder if you can license music. I bet you can't license music for podcasts. Right. And I spoke to him, and he said, he said, yeah, well, we have trouble with it, but no one's really listening. Like, the music industry isn't really taking notice of us right now. And I was like, well, they will. I've, see, I've seen this story before. Uh, and sure enough, I, I called all the, you know, all the existing authorities 
and said, pretended I had a podcast that was doing well and could I license music? <laughs> There's no actual mechanism to do that. We only have it for personal licenses and things like that. And I was like, well, we need to be a, we need to build a podcast solution. Right. Uh, so that was me learning about podcasts, not me going in about music. But you start mm-hmm. to see, hang on a minute, the growth of that thing looks a lot like the growth of that thing. And, and this is what happened in their story, right? The, the shape of startups and trends tend to take certain forms yes right and if you've seen a gorilla before and then what you're seeing now looks like two hairy eight feet right you can you can be pretty sure it's going to turn into a gorilla by the time it's fully grown absolutely and i think that a lot of that comes into the way you're forming teams you know you expressed you're not uh you know what what do they say if you're you're the smartest one in the room uh you're in the wrong room sort of a thing um and so you may not be the early adopter or the the, the te- technical minded person, yeah. but you've hired those people or they're your your partners. Yes. And when you have people who are they're part of modern culture, they're part of popular culture, they're they're on the cutting edge of those things, and you couple that with people who have business experience who have seen it before, then you have that collaboration of okay, I re- recognize industry trends with i also understand the unique nuances to this space where the x is not relevant to this but y very much is so let's replicate y and then let's innovate x and that leads to success yeah agreed agreed and you know like i've been in this space for long enough now that i've worked with enough people that have gone on like me to become startup founders yeah. Because they've got so frustrated with the industry not um, not adapting to the change in the landscape they could be licensing to into quick enough, and then taking that step to say, "Well, I'm going to be the change." Right. Right. I'll do it myself. If I can't get my company to do it, then I'll start my own. Um, right. And and you know, like well, I'm looking a lot at the moment uh, at companies started by friends of mine who are in AI generative yep. composition. Right. Um, and, and even things like, uh, again, I know I said I wasn't an early adopter, but I, I've been obsessed recently with chat GPT. I, I, I can't I just sit at home for half an hour just trying to work out if there's anything it won't answer. Yeah. And, and I, I found a few things. Right. There are okay. things that it from me. Um, typically, if you ask it to do something related to a news event post 2021. But but, you know, you just start playing around with it and you go, hang on a minute. That could be a thing. Hmm. Uh, and so I know a lot more about AI generative composition than I ever thought I would, but it's because I know people that are doing really interesting things and it could be useful for lick down the road. Well, and I think having that general curiosity of not just being satisfied with what I know or what I'm doing, but that continual, um, what's up, what's up with this? Or, or I want to learn more about that. or And then digging in a little bit deeper than just surface level to where you do... You know, worst case scenario, you're knowledgeable about something, even if it doesn't apply to your business today. Yeah, agreed. And 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 I think that's what makes me passionate about this metaverse product. I, I keep calling it the metaverse product. We are we are calling it Chorus um, as a product name. Chorus, uh, like a song. Chorus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because because the problem the problem we had to solve was how can we deliver multiple different streams of music to multiple devices simultaneously in the same district right in the metaverse sounds complicated um, yeah and and what we said was it needs to it needs to play in chorus they need to play simultaneously and so we were looking, right. looking for okay so you know what we have to to work out is we've done this by the way is there are no uh, no ears and no walls in the metaverse. Right. There are devices that you hear through. Uh-huh. There are virtual walls. But your avatar still, quote, unquote, walks into a venue. So if you're on the street and you walk through a door into a bar, you can't hear the music. You open the door, you can hear the music. Right. 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 Then you open the door and leave the bar, and you can hear the music. You open the door, and then you can't hear the music. Right. So we need to deliver that experience. Right. But then 4,000 pixels up on your screen is another bar. 
that your right. avatar can walk into. Yep. And when he opens that door, he needs to hear whatever music that bar is playing, right. which is different than the first bar. So how do we deliver multiple different streams, you know, tens of thousands of them potentially, into different venues in the same district selected by individual venues to multiple differing devices all over the world? Wow. As, as, if, as if you're all in the same room. I know it sounds like one of those things that no one needs to know how it's built, but that's the technological solution we have to build. We have to build a player that can that can be um, programmed by our customers. Mm-hmm. So venue A has ordered music, play music into venue A. Venue A has ordered rock music, only play rock music into venue A. Venue B is now ordering music. Venue B wants hip-hop, right? right? So A, it needs to do that. But B, it needs to understand how big venue B is so that your avatar is only hearing venue B music right Uh, and it needs to know when your avatar when your token has crossed their threshold so the player needs to be be able to read coordinates it needs to be able to read a blueprint of a city spatial audio sort of a thing like when no spatial audio is something different but 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 I get how you got there because yeah it's about delivering audio in space Um, the closer I get to something the louder I hear it sort of a thing is where my mind goes Mm -hmm. pretty much so um, so that's the the technological issue then you've got how do we charge for it how do we distribute royalties and then you've got can we sign people up to both these models that we took a stab at in the dark right yeah Um, but the point I'm making is there's so many sexy things happening in the metaverse around music but with any good building you don't start at the penthouse correct yeah you don't build a, you don't build a block of flats from the penthouse up you do the unsexy stuff and you build the foundations right and, and my point to the music industry is i don't want to touch your concerts i don't want to touch your nfts I'm not trying to cut myself into something that you should be doing, that your artists have, you know, spent all their lives creating the brand advocacy and equity to be exploiting themselves. What I'm saying to you is there is an always-on scalable solution here, which is just every day. It's just every day, everywhere. Yeah. It's every the radio. It's the, it's the metaverse radio, right? Every day, everywhere. In fact, I, I quite like that phrase. I'm going to be using it now when I talk to, to labels and publishers. This is about every day, everywhere, not yeah. three times a year in one place, right? And that's what makes it scalable. I like right? that. How many artists can we deliver revenue for if we're in 70,000 venues in one Met- Metaverse platform? Right. right? We, we've done a deal uh, with Decentraland, sorry, with Vegas City in Decentraland. And, and uh, you know, there are tens of thousands of venues between Vegas City and Decentraland. Now, if we can put music into all of them, it's going to generate a lot of money for the music industry. It's going to create a lot more engagement for Decentraland and Vegas City, and it's going to deliver a much better user experience for, for the avatars and the users that are going and spending their, their valuable attention time right. to be there. That's what they're granting you, and you've got to grab it. They're saying... Grab my attention, and you've got to you've got to go and do it. And that's what excites me. Like, that's why I'm passionate about it. You ask me if I go into these rooms and say, you know, why won't I take no for an answer? Because you're all just thinking about these tentpole opportunities right. that a handful of artists can exploit. When I'm talking to you about, let's get 60 million songs played once a day throughout the metaverse, every day, everywhere. Yeah, what I love about what you're doing is the the mutual. Uh, beneficial attributes yeah. of the whole thing where obviously you have the the obvious benefits to the artists but what you just expressed is it's not just marshmallow and post malone yeah. who are going to get these temple opportunities anyway it's maybe that startup band that just hit you know or or that niche band who you know with this unique subculture is very popular and then you have what do what do metaverse platforms need? They need people to come. They need to retain that interest. They need to pull them back, right? And then what does the what does the consumer, the attendee, need? They need to have their experiences be memorable and meaningful, and it all works together this way with Lict. Correct, correct. And 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 if you can come up with a solution, and 
in linearly put everyone in that value chain from beginning to end yeah and, and do the thinking through it do they benefit do they benefit and you end up you know with with five stakeholders and five green ticks then you go well this this makes sense for everyone right and that's when that's when you end up arguing with yourself uh in pre- preparing for for a conversation with a stubborn rights holder right well one thing too um i've always thought is audio is often the most overlooked but one of the most impactful parts of an experience. I remember, do you remember back in the day, I don't know if they had these in the UK, but when you were in the US, Bose stores, where Bose, the headphone company, um, built out a mini theater in their store. And so you'd go in there, they'd show them like a little mini movie and they had these huge speakers in the corners. And like during the mini movie, they would turn the audio off and they'd turn it on. And the surprise and delight aspect of it was they would, pick up those big speakers and they were covers over like speakers that were like this big that could be in yeah. the corners of your house but ever since that I think I was like 19, 20 years old when I first uh, saw that is how impactful audio is to our overall experiences Yes. well I, if we go back to that story I told you at the beginning about taking the CDs in the edit suite yeah, I thought it was my music <laughs> right that's but that's how people feel about it. I mean, less so. To, less so. Today I paid twelve bucks. Own. That's my CD. Yeah, yeah. Less so today because you don't own the physical CD, right? Right. So it's a bit more distributed and decentralized in terms of. Oh, I might have one song from that artist in my favorite playlist. Yeah. But I curated that playlist like a DJ set, right? Right. And people feel proprietary about music. That's why it's always being undervalued. Mm. Right. Because it because it's. It's all around us, and it's so every day. Um, but that's all the more reason why it should be in all new digital landscapes as soon as possible. I don't say that to undermine the um, remuneration opportunity or revenue opportunity for rights holders. I say it so that we can exploit it early. When I look at what happened on YouTube, there was essentially a black hole in in the... Um, in the upper echelons of YouTube content when it comes to music for many, many years. Right. And when I looked at the metaverse and heard the stock music in both of those venues, I was like, it would be, be a travesty if they let this happen here as well. Right. And that's, that's what Lix tries to solve. Lix should look at all those opportunities and say, if we build tech, we can get there on day one. The, the music industry, no one entity in the music industry, not one, owns all of the all of the rights necessary to exploit any opportunity interesting right right you've got labels that own recordings and publisher that own lyrics and melody and and represent writers and to get one song on licked right if it's got one writer and one artist i need a label deal and a publisher deal right if there's five writers, I need to have four of the five of the biggest publishers in the world, five billion dollar corporations, get through a contract agreement with me and have the same done with the label. That's not just, happening on the evening of day one or the morning of day two. <laughs> yeah, but that's just to get one song live, right? So you know th- th- that's why it's that's why we think okay, if we can build the tech that says to the market, you must have been looking at this as a potential opportunity. You must have been wondering how you as an industry were going to get there and solve it. Well, we've done it. That's incredible. Um, it sounds to me like your clients, who, who you'd love to connect with, um, correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like obviously publishers, you have music publishers, you have uh, some contracts and relationships there already. Um, also, uh, metaverse platforms. Um, anybody else that I'm missing out here who is the right um, connection for you who should reach out so lick.co is, is is the platform that's mature that's up and running right that's the, that's the user generated content platform right uh-huh. um, for that it's it's content creators we're building another platform for brands because I don't know if you if you read in the press like I do you know Sony shoot, sued Gymshark for 200 million dollars for using their music without rights. Yeah. And, and and all three major labels are suing Bang Energy because Bang Energy uh-huh. used 200 pieces of music without the rights. Yikes. Uh, 
But I know I, you know, I, they're right to do it. By the way, people shouldn't be exploiting catalog like that. Right. But I have some sympathy because if these people tried to legally license the music, they'd have been so put off by the process that they thought, "Well, let them come to us." Right. Right. Uh, and 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 typically, the music industry has actually um, enabled that sort of behaviour. But we're building a solution for that in, in conjunction with with the world's biggest labels. By the way, they're saying we've got this problem and we need it solved, and they came to us to help them with it. I haven't spoken about it today, but that's another opportunity. So 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 UGC creators, brands, and metaverse platforms absolutely are our are our customers. Fantastic. Uh, what I'm hearing from you um, is in that process, essentially, is sometimes when somebody owns all the keys to the kingdom, it doesn't matter to them how difficult the process is because they hold all the keys. And I think I'm a, I think it's true just regardless of industry is when you lower the barriers to something, when you make it easier to do something, you're going to get more of that. And yes. so if our goal is more legally licensed music that artists are getting paid for how can we streamline that process so everyone from a bang energy to a decentraland etc can very yeah. quickly go through that and get the music they want and that's the that's the solution Lich is providing John you are bang on right and you and you made me think oh, I should have said this earlier right but you you, you prompted it in me the reason we get so much resistance, even when we think, when we know we are providing a solution to a problem and providing an at-scale revenue opportunity, is that historically the music industry has always owned the means of production and the means of distribution. And that means they historically have monetized scarcity. Mm. Right? And everything we come to them with is, is about democratization. Right, and democratization is the is the the other end of the spectrum. The opposite, yeah. Right, and and so that's a problem. I'm saying to them, you know, there are six billion one pound opportunities out here. Whereas they're saying, if we don't let anyone use anything, we can license this one time for six billion dollars. <laughs> right, and, and so right. we're both saying the same thing. There's a six billion dollar opportunity, but in one aspect, you have to let the asset go. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other, you have to hoard it. Now, that's why they fought against Napster, because right. it democratized music, whether you like it or not, and it was illegal and it shouldn't have operated that way. But but I used to get really fed up of walking into a CD shop and saying, well, this album's $7.99, and that one's $13.99. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> right? right. Okay, fine, be like that. But then when someone comes along on iTunes and says everything's 99p, and the music industry... Uh, revolts and they say I don't care we're doing it anyway get on board or miss out mm-hmm. and then and starts to reshape the music industry that's the beginning of democratization through digitization Very everything we're doing everything we're doing is about micro licensing you can't afford to do this yourself because by the time your lawyer reads the contract you're in negative equity right, right. this requires automation this requires auto-generated licenses, delivery through technology, and and um, claiming vast digital landscapes at scale. Get in there early and grab that land. Absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's not how they have operated traditionally. Well, I love the disruption and the inner innovation that you're providing in this industry. Um, as we come to the end of this uh, recording, what are the ways that people can get in touch with you, in touch with your team, in the way that you would like them to? So... Uh, licked is at get licked and that's no e in lit so g-e-t-l-i-c-k-d on all socials got it uh, and i am at samson paul i think on all socials <laughs> uh, I, I, if I, you I don't pop that. up try something else well yeah i say that because <laughs> LinkedIn, linkedin isn't an at is it but but yeah right. samson s-a-m-p-s-o-n um, and i'm happy to talk to anyone that is innovating in our space or innovating in other spaces and, and just thinks that there's um, there's some learnings to be had. But listen, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, 
you know, featuring people, help, you know, providing a platform and highlighting folks who are doing things that benefit other people that are innovative in their pro- th- thought process and, you know, making our experiences better all around. So, Paul Sampson, really appreciate you, really appreciate what the Lick team is doing. Thank you for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. You're very welcome. All the best. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.